Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Just want to remind you real quickly that we are in the season where we are nominating new deacons. So please take a moment. Think about who is a servant and who needs to be one of our servant leaders here at church. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at a story about Jesus. It starts in verse 35. And this story may be familiar to you, even if you didn't grow up in church, it's one of the most famous stories about Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to the details of this story. One of the reasons I trust the Bible is because it doesn't read like a myth. It gives us lots of details. So listen to God's word. Uh, that evening, when, that day when evening came, he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And this is one of my favorite stories about Jesus. And I've always wondered how in the world could he stay asleep in the middle of a storm? So once you get the picture, number one, uh, the detail that Jesus' boat with the disciples is not the only boat on the water that night. There's another boat with them. Other boats are with them. And, and I want you to see that the waves, the storm comes up. They come up real quickly on uh, the Sea of Galilee because of some ge geographical realities. And all of a sudden, they're at night. It's a storm. Uh, the waves are are fierce, the boat's getting pounded, the water is coming over the gunnels and the water is filling the boat. Any of you ever been in a small boat out on a lake in a thunderstorm and water, yes, yeah, several of you are already raising your hands, I don't even have to get that far, and water starts coming in the boat. And has that ever happened to anybody? It's happened to me. Yeah, several of you say yes. And your wives are saying, why were you so stupid as to be out on the water when the, when the storm was coming? I get you. Um, and, and I can just imagine that the four fishermen, you know, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they are having to tell these non-sailor, non-fisherman disciples what to do. And so the, 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 you can just hear, can't you hear Peter shouting to Matthew, bail, dummy, bail, bail, as in bail out the boat. You, can't you hear it? And then I want you to notice the detail. Jesus is asleep on a cushion. Now, cushions would not normally have been in a boat like this, so this must have been something special put in the boat just for Jesus. Now, he is the son of God, but he's also completely man. How in the world is he sleeping through this kind of storm? He is either really, really, really tired or he has a deep, deep, deep peace. Contrast Jesus and the disciples. Jesus has the deep peace the disciples are filled with anxiety and fear. Would you rather live with peace or anxiety and fear? 
Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, is it possible to live without anxiety and fear? And I totally understand. I am not a person to whom peace comes naturally. I am a more anxious person, and when there's a problem, I feel like it needs to be solved, and I quickly shift to what do I need to do to fix this? What do I need to do to fix this? And guys, a lot of us are wired this way, and I want to tell you that doesn't really work, and you know this, because every time you've ever asked your wife, well, what do I need to do to fix this? What does she, what does she say? You just need to listen to me. Well, I'm doing that. Right? And you want to know what can you do? We have a bias toward action. So what kind of peace are we talking about? I'm going to quote Dallas Willard again because Dallas has such great insight into this. Dallas says peace is the deep rest and assurance that comes from complete abandonment to God. In other words, the more I surrender to God, the greater I will feel the peace of God. Now, I think this kind of peace can only be found in the presence of God. Because it means my will can rest. I don't have to worry about the next decision I make because I know God is in control. So let me ask you the tough question. Do you have this kind of peace? Is it present in your life? So pay attention to what Jesus does. This is really cool. The disciples wake him up. Now, this is not in the text, but my hunch is they did not go to him and say, Jesus, it's time to wake up, sweetie. Come on, come on, wake up, Jesus. No, they are scared. How did they wake him up? I can just, I can see John grabbing Jesus by the shoulders and shaking him and saying, wake up, Lord, wake up. We're about to drown. Don't you care? That's what I would do. And Jesus wakes up. He can see the panic etched in the lines of their face and the fear in their eyes. And what does he do? Don't miss this. It's real important. He speaks, rebukes, corrects. That's what the word means, the waves. We don't know exactly what he said to the waves, but we do know what he said to the wind. He said, be quiet. Don't you love that? Be still. Don't miss what happens here. We can so easily miss this. The peace that Jesus has that enables him to sleep in the storm he now extends out to the waves and the wind. Because that's what Jesus does. He is the bringer of peace. He comes to make peace between us and our Heavenly Father. He comes to bring peace between you and I. And it's not the peace of the world. And this is part of our memory verse. I want you to say it with me. Yes, we're going to put it up on the screen. But I want you to say it loud and enthusiastically. Not like Florida fans after we got beat by Kentucky yesterday. Yeah, I hear you. I know, I'm throwing this out there for a couple of you. Okay. So let's say it together. Peace I leave with you. Okay, okay, okay. Let's just start over. Okay, I'm hearing mumble, mumble, mumble. Okay, let's say it loud, right? 
peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, the world defines peace as the absence of conflict. Jesus says, no, that's not really peace. I wanna give you a kind of peace that can only come when you surrender to me. When you put your life in my hands. Now, Jesus turns now to the disciples. Everything's calmed down. They're probably like still sopping wet. You know, hair's a mess. Water streaming down their faces. And they're just looking at him. And, and you know their mouths are open. And Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Now, had I been in the boat, I would have answered Jesus. I would say, well, Jesus, I was afraid because I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to drown out here on this lake. And you, meanwhile, are asleep in the back of the boat. I thought I had pretty good reason for being afraid. And Jesus says, why did you have so little faith? Well, Lord, it's pretty hard to have faith when your world's falling apart. And maybe some of you feel that way. You know, maybe it's just right now, maybe it's episodic, where right now you feel like you're in this episode of life and your life is falling apart. And you feel really afraid. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're afraid because someone you love is sick. And you're not a doctor, you can't do anything about it. Maybe you're afraid because it's a Saturday night and you're home and your teenage daughter is out an hour past her curfew, that'll strike some fear in your heart. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're in a chronic kind of fear because the boss called you into his office and said, if you don't improve your performance in the next 90 days, I'm afraid we're gonna have to let you go. Did that make you afraid? Or, or maybe you're afraid because you have lived under chronic financial pressure and right now you got a stack of bills this high and a stack of cash this high. And it's been that way for a while and you're just wondering, how's this ever going to work out? And there's all kinds of reasons why we can be afraid. You know, some people feel a chronic sense of fear because they feel like they always have to overfunction to make things happen, to make a relationship work. And this is a real challenge because faith activates peace. It's real fundamental to our understanding. Your faith will activate peace. And it's faith that no matter what happens to you, God is in control. God is at work. Now we're in this series, Grow Character, and we are using Philippians 4. You might want to now turn to Philippians 4. We're using that as a roadmap, how to grow our character. And we've talked, first of all, about how there is a defining characteristic for Christians, and that is to have joy. And so you remember the first verse we looked at, real simple, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then the next characteristic of character that Paul talks about is gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. 
The Lord is near. And then last week, we talked about how we are to fight the anxiety of life. You'll remember this from verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And now we come to the big finish. See, if you are pursuing joy, if you are pursuing gentleness, if you're attacking anxiety with prayer, the end result will be peace. Verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends, some of you remember the older translation, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means when I am putting my life in God's hands, I have a peace. What kind of peace do I have? First of all, Paul tells us, I've got a peace that passes understanding. The word understanding comes from the Greek word which means to think. It talks about the world of thought. And God is going to give you a a peace that you cannot actually understand. It is beyond human comprehension. You can't think your way to peace. And you actually get this because there are some things in life you cannot actually describe, you can only experience. The peace of God cannot be explained, it can only be experienced. Let's see if I can help you understand this. Um, Can anybody actually describe a smell No, you can't. It's impossible. What I can do is I can compare it to something. I can make an analogy. So if I say, boom, that smells like three-day-old roadkill. Everybody get a kind of a whiff of that aroma in your memory? Some of you haven't. Stop next time. (laughs) The peace of God is like that. You can't you can't really describe it, but you can, you can say, it's like this. And the Bible has all kinds of examples of this. One of the best is in Psalm 131, verse 2. Psalm 131, one of the shortest psalms, says this. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. This is David, King David, writing this psalm. He says, you know, when I'm in the presence of God, I've learned to calm and quiet myself. And I become like a weaned child with its mother. What is a weaned child? A weaned child is a child who no longer depends on its mom for food. You've experienced this. I have. When my three kids were small, they fell, hurt themselves, I would pick them up. I would say, it's okay, daddy's got you, daddy's got you. And what was their response? They cried louder. I would be patting them, I'd be, cool, uh, you, know, I, you know, I was kind of doing the old song, I'll buy you a mockingbird, I'll buy you Walmart, just stop crying. And what would they be saying? Who said I want mama? You're exactly right. I want mama. And I'm thinking, what am I, chopped liver? And, and then Gina would come in the room 
and they would reach out for her and they would go to her and they would start to feel this sense of peace. They would start to calm down. Because usually children's first experience of peace is in their mother's arms. And the peace of God is like that. You cannot explain it. It passes all understanding. Now, the second thing Paul tells us about the peace of God is that it will guard your heart and your mind. Let's just remember your heart or your will is where you make decisions. Your mind is where you have thoughts and feelings. They do this dance together. Now, just, just kind of real quick, anybody here ever feel anxious about a decision? Anybody here ever have anxious thoughts? Anybody here ever have anxious feelings? Yeah, I see somebody's raising two hands, gotcha. When I think about peace, my temptation, honestly, is to think about some wimpy figure, you know, kind of like Tweety Bird, saying, I'm here to bring you peace. But the word guard is a military word. It means guard duty. Some of you, when you were on active duty, you had guard duty. It means you weren't gonna let anything else. And so I've had to change my picture of peace, that peace is not this wimp, peace of God that guards your heart is a towering figure over the gate of your soul and it is standing there with sword and spear daring anyone to enter your heart and attack you because the peace of God reigns in your soul. Let me tell you this, this is so important. When Satan sees the peace of God guarding your soul, he runs, he runs. That is something he is afraid of because it's something he does not have. Satan will always want to pick on those who do not have peace, who are filled with anxiety. That is his playground, is anxiety. Don't you remember how he tempted the woman in the garden? Oh, God is so unfair. He's keeping you from being like him. That induces anxiety. That's Satan's playground. So if this is what peace is, the peace of God, that it's beyond our understanding, it's supernatural, and it guards our heart with a fierceness that we cannot even begin to comprehend, what then does that mean? Which leads us to some important questions. The first question would be, can you have peace without God? And the answer is yes, sort of. Uh, you may remember that there was a famous picture taken during the Vietnam War of a Buddhist monk who went into the city of Saigon, did the lotus position, crisscross, doused himself with gasoline and set himself on fire. And the picture captures the flames engulfing his body and he did not flinch. How did he do that? He actually said before he did that that he had a passion to see the government overthrown. That's a lot of passion. And he had learned detachment. Now, if you understand anything about Buddhism, you know this is one of the core tenets of Buddhism that you must detach yourself 
and learn to detach your body and the desires of your body from your thoughts and from your heart. It is a way to, to disengage from your feelings. And you can have peace that way. But that is not the peace of God. That is not the kind of peace God wants you to have because God made your soul to be a whole. You, you, you have a body as a gift. It is a place where you can have feeling. Now, therapists call this disassociation. And this is where you shut down a feeling thinking that this is gonna make things better. But here's the problem. We do not have individual valves to shut down each emotion. There's just one master valve. So if I shut down my anger, my ability to love is going to be shut down. My ability to feel pain is going to be shut down, which is why sometimes we shut down anger. But get this, even my ability to receive peace is going to be shut down. God gave you emotions as cues to seek him. Now, another question that comes up. What about believers who do not have peace? Now, let's go back to what I said at first. The more you surrender, the more peace you will experience. So what I have discovered in my own life is when I am not experiencing the peace of God, it means there's something I have not surrendered to God. There's something I have not let go of. There's something I have not said, okay, God, you are in charge. And I think we do this, we hold on to stuff because we're afraid if we really surrender to God, we will not get our best life. I was talking with a man and we were, we were on a spiritual track of conversation and he said, Clay, one of the difficulties I have in following Jesus, truly surrendering, I'm afraid if I truly surrender to God, he will ask me to give up my bass boat. Okay, I actually respect him. I respect him for being that honest. You know, he gets it. And I know for some of you, you could give up a bass boat pretty easy, but if I were to ask you to give up your house, oh no, not my house. If, I, if God were to ask you to give up financial security, you'd go, Lord, no, no, I've worked too hard to get where I am. What if God asked you to give up one of your kids and says, I want one of your kids to go and be a missionary? No, God, no, 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 you pick somebody else's kid. So in talking with this guy, I thought maybe I should just be honest with him and say, okay, here's something you need to understand. God might ask you to give up your bass boat because the first commandment of the 10 commandments, you remember, you will have no other gods before me. So I asked the guy, I said, do you spend more time with your bass boat than you do with God? So how do I surrender to God so I can have peace? Let's be sure we understand what surrender is. Surrender means, requires humility. Surrender requires humility. I must realize that only God can do what I need done in my life. Only God can do what I need done. And you actually know this. You know this. 
When we talk about you know, surrendering, a lot of people say, well, it can't be that simple. It is both simple and complex. Um, to surrender means I have to be humble enough to say I am dependent on God. But many of us are too prideful. Or, uh, like me, we have been raised to think that everything depends on our own efforts. And so we resist this idea of being dependent on God. And it may be because we're afraid that God's asleep in the boat. God's not even paying attention to us. So I've got to work even harder while God's asleep. But folks, remember, the Lord never slumbers or sleeps. He is aware. And I think reluctance also to depend on God comes from our, our failure to understand how wide and how deep and how high is the love of God for us. More than you want good for your kids, our heavenly Father wants good for you. Do you hear me? More than you want good for your kids, or for some of you, your grandkids, God wants good for you. Do you really know that? If you do, you'll live there. It is a sweet spot. Don't you remember, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some of us have got the wrong theology in our head, which says God only loves you when you're good. No, God loves you when you're bad. When we sin, his love is still there. You know, surrender also requires release. This is the letting go. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, that, that, now you've got to understand this kingdom thinking. All of us have kingdom thinking. Most of us, beginning around age 10, going especially up into adolescence, we begin to think in terms of our own kingdom. We begin to learn about age 10 that mom and dad don't need to know everything, right? Some of you started a lot earlier at five. I get that. We learn, we learn that we can, we can have some control. And so we can buy into this idea that we are in control of life. But when you actually realize how frustrating that is and how limiting it is and that you really don't have that much control, now you begin to understand why Jesus taught us, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. God, my little kingdom is a wreck. I can't even run my own little kingdom. So I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to ask you to teach me how to think like a heavenly kingdom, to have a different set of values, to depend on you as king, and I resign. I love what I read one pastor write. He said, my, I never knew peace. I never knew peace in my soul until I resigned as head of the universe. I wonder how many of you need to turn in your resignation. See, that's release. Surrender also requires participation. Now, we get this wrong sometimes. We think, okay, God, I surrender. All to thee, I give. I, that's a good thing, right? But then we think that means we go passive. Okay, God, I'm surrendered. I'm just sitting here. You do your will. No, you have to participate with the will of God. 
Now, this is the way that one of the, this is one of the ways it works in my life. So, uh, one of the things I do is preach, right? So every Sunday I want to preach a good sermon, and that means I can either be completely dependent on God or I can do my part. Now I actually know preachers. I know preachers who do this. What they do is they take their Bibles and they and then they preach from wherever it lands. Now the problem with that is sometimes you land on. Ram fathered Amadiah, and Amadiah fathered Nashon, the leader of Judah's descendants. Right? Those are really great sermons. You've heard some of them, haven't you? No, I have to participate. I have to actually study, do my translation work, read what other theologians think about this passage. I have to think about what you need, and I write it down, and then I rewrite it, and I preach it before uh, a team on Wednesday, and they then say, huh, that wasn't very good. You ought to change this. And so then I change it, and I kind of rework it, and then when I get up here, I've done my part. I love what Tim Keller said. The difference between a bad sermon and a good sermon is dependent on you, meaning me, the preacher. The, the difference between a good sermon and a great sermon depends on God. And I've seen this. I have seen this over and over and over. I have seen things that I come out, and I'm ready to, man, I am ready on Sunday, and I am ready to just, boom. And I am convinced that you're going to come weeping here at the altar in the middle of my sermon, just going, oh, Pastor, that's just so convicting. And, and the offering's going to be the highest we've ever had. People are going to be clamoring to get in the baptistry. It's a dud. It's a dud. I know it's a dud. You know it's a dud right? And the reason I know it's a dud is because I can see your mouths open. <laughs> now, there are other Sundays when I come in and say, God, I'm not so sure about this. I didn't really have a lot of time. I've done my best. I've tried to participate. God, this sermon belongs to you. It's amazing how many of those sermons you come out and say, that really touched my heart. And what I am learning still, still, I'm not there, what I'm learning is don't be anxious about the results. I do my part. I trust God to do his part. And so here's the last thing. Uh, surrender requires contentment. This is tough. This is tough. Paul will say later on in chapter 4, I have learned in any and every circumstances to be content, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. You hear that? Remember, Paul is chained to a Roman guard. He's under house arrest. His fate rests in the hands of crazy Emperor Nero. Yeah, I've learned to be content. I fall prey to one day thinking. You know what one day thinking is? One day it's going to slow down. The work's going to slow down. One day, I'll, I will finally be retired and I can enjoy my life. One day, I'm really going to get serious about my health. What if God wants you to learn contentment right now, right where you are? Whatever's going on with you, what if God wants you to learn contentment now? See, I've, I've tried to learn this about my kids that I participated, right? I, I wanted to be a good dad, 
tried real hard at that. But ultimately, you know, they grow up, they've got a mind of their own. I have to trust that God is working in ways I can't even see. Do, do you know that? That God loves your kids more than you do. So here's the big idea for the day. Big idea for the day. To have the peace of God, you must surrender to God. To have the peace of God, you've got to surrender to God. So what are we going to do? What do you need to surrender to God today? So in just a moment, I am going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to do something special with your hands. I'm going to ask you to hold your hands like this when you pray. We were taught to hold our hands like this. I don't know why. It's a sign of, of reverence and respect, but I want you to hold your hands like this and I want you to think about what makes you anxious that you need to surrender to God. Now don't overthink it, right? Most of you, pick one or two. Just, let's just start with one or two, just one or two. Now, can I say to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, maybe what you need to surrender is your whole life and ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive you and say, Lord, I'm putting you in charge. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about that one thing that you just really have trouble letting go of and letting God be in control of. I want you to keep your hands open, okay? Let's bow our heads and let's have just this moment of quiet and you think about what you need to put in your hands and then release to God. Is it someone you love? Is it your own health? Is it an addiction? What do you need to surrender to the Lord? And I want you to imagine that anxiety going up to God. And as it goes up to God, the peace of God now is coming into your hands. And the peace of God is flowing to your heart and to your mind. And so Heavenly Father, Receive all that we have surrendered to you. For those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus today, I give you thanks. And may they take their next steps. For those of us who are followers and we've surrendered, God, help us to keep surrendering it to you. And I ask all of this in the peaceful name of Jesus. Amen.